are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. So for everyone else, imagine this. Franklin Central High School, Indianapolis, Indiana, 2005. It was the spring. I am sitting in Mrs. Hudson's junior English class, AP English, and she starts handing out envelopes to select individuals in the class, and I am one of these individuals who gets an envelope, and Mrs. Hudson says, if you're getting one of these, do not open this now. Wait until later, wait until you get home. So being obedient, I do just that. Actually, I would have opened it almost immediately after class, but I forgot all about it. So it, it was a Friday, and it was like 6 or 7 o'clock that night, and then it hits me, oh, right, that envelope that the special people got. So I go to my backpack, open it up, and it reads something like, Andrew, congratulations, you've been selected to like apply to be part of the National Honor Society. Uh, academically, you're good to go, so no worries there, but uh, there's, an in- there's an interview piece with the committee and all that. So, Andrew, before you leave school today, drop by the attendance office and sign up for an interview to be held on Monday. And I say, oh no, because it's really important to be in the National Honor Society. Actually, my mother thought it was very important to be in the National Honor Society. So I'm like, what do I got to do? These people are really, really strict. I don't know. So I, I come up with a plan and here's my plan, my only solution. I'm going to have to lie to get into the National Honor Society. So I have my plan. And so I was like, okay, it's just really simple, nothing too convoluted. So I go in, it's first period, Mrs. Hudson class, and you know, she's over the NHS and all that. And I say, Mrs. Hudson, uh, I was unable to sign up for an interview this last Friday. Right after your class, I went home sick. So she's like, oh, I completely understand. Let me talk with the committee about getting you an interview slot uh, today or tomorrow. I said, Mrs. Hudson, thank you so much for being so understanding. And I go out into the hallway, and then I bragged all my friends because I just got away with it. Nothing happens Monday. And then the next day, I'm like, Ms. Hudson, anything, any updates, anything like that? She says, uh, yes, I have one more member of the committee to talk with, and then I'll have something for you. I will find you by the end of the day. Perfect. It's like a three or four day, you know, deal going on now. So uh, that, at the end of that day, it's like, you know, I don't know, seventh period, Dr. Nichols physics class, knock on the door, Andrew, they're here for you, you know, someone out here for you. So I was like, oh, this is my time, my interview time, all that. So I go out there and Mrs. Hudson's in the hallway, but then so is Mrs. Um, her name may have been Car- Mrs. Carmine. I can't remember. I didn't have her uh, as a teacher, but she was a math teacher and she also kind of had like a hunchback thing going on. So we call her quasi-matho. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Not to her face. Come on. But I was like, why do both of them need to be here to tell me that, you know, I have an interview and so on and so forth. So Mrs. Hutchins, she's standing there. No, hello. Says, Andrew, why did you say you couldn't sign up for an interview on Friday? I'm caught. I'm caught, people. So I was like, what I said was, I had to go home early right after your class, and I didn't get a chance to sign up. And she says, ah. And then she pulls out a clipboard full of evidence from behind her back. She says, well, you have a participation grade from Senora Bender's third period class. And you took a quiz in Mr. Rocky's six-period math class. And there is absolutely no record of you signing out in the attendance office on Friday. So, and I said, so, you want to know the real story, don't you? 
And I merely explained that, okay, so I knew, like, you know, it's pretty strict, and I just thought this was my only way in. She says, well, can maybe kind of understand that, but because of that, we will not be able to grant you an interview for the National Honor Society. And I said, I understand, and I went back home. But would you believe, would you want to guess who got into the National Honor Society anyway? It wasn't me. I didn't get in. But there, I like telling the story. It's a funny story, but also kind of leading into our topic this morning of honesty and lying. A few things I learned from that uh, that have stuck with me. One, at least in the eyes of these two teachers, my character was absolutely destroyed. Uh, there was that from the time I decided to lie until the time I was found out about a three, four day period, the, the worrying, the stress, the anxiety was absolutely just more than I wanted to deal with. And honestly, even if it hadn't like worked, it wouldn't have been worth all, again, that stress and anxiety and nervousness going into it. One thing that all of us in this room we have together, all of us are liars. Raise your hand if you're a liar. All right, those who do not raise their hand, you've just joined the club, so we're, <laughs> so we're, we're all the same. And, uh, you know, maybe not a lot. We just, at least we know how to lie. Many of us don't make a practice out of it. But something interesting about the practice of lying is that no matter where you are in the world, where you're from, how you were brought up, what your culture is, even your religion, everyone can pretty much agree that lying is wrong. And on the same token, uh, lying is one of those things that we know how to do. Some of us are better at it than others, but some of us really know how to do it and do it well. It might even be a lifestyle for, for some of us. You know, we know what to say to get what we want sometimes, and also we're very good at rationalizing why it was okay to tell whatever lie. But then also something that everyone can agree on is that while it's easy to, to maybe rationalize lying to other people, when we are lied to, it hurts depending on who it's coming from, what kind of lie it is, being lied to is really, really painful, and you just feel so betrayed. Even if it's from someone that you don't even know, even like, also one thing I know that we're all great at is like when someone uh, does lie, even like a public figure, it's like, oh, you just feel so let down and disappointed, even if there was no relationship there at all. Uh, Lance Armstrong comes to mind from, you know, years and years ago, this, you know, the Tour de France, you know, champion years and year, year in and year out, however many years ago. Uh, I was reading a previous interview of his, and before the truth came out, he was quoted as saying this. I think it was on Larry King. He said, I've said it for longer than seven years. I have never doped. And he said that a lot. And then one day, oh, guess what? He doped. And he doped a lot. And then all of a sudden, all those live strong bracelets that we all had really didn't mean as much. Power of a lie, even if it's a big one, even if it's a small one. Although some of us, like some of us, just if we're good at it, you know, maybe we just like doing it just because we can. Maybe some of us, we've, you know, gone so far down the rabbit hole that it might be even a practice. Uh, I was thinking about my favorite liar of all time. His name is George Costanza from the TV show Seinfeld. He's my favorite liar. And he has this famous line. He lies almost every episode. Remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Which is a very funny line. But I was like, you know what? Yeah. Some people absolutely live that way and are okay living with that kind of philosophy. 
So I like doing research, especially if it's like a specific topic like lying. So I want to know, all right, what are the reasons that we actually lie? So I came across a, an article, a very in-depth, um, broad-range article from National Geographic a few years ago. And just, it just, the study looked at why exactly do we lie. I kind of made, it, I made a chart for us. So here's what it says. It says 36% of the lies we tell are for self-protection. Uh, that's maybe covering up a mistake that we've done or lying about a misdeed that we've committed. Uh, maybe it's even avoiding other people. I came across a fantastic tweet a couple weeks ago about this. Um, the tweet was something like, 80% of being an adult is fixing what you messed up before anyone else finds out you messed up. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not entirely untrue. Uh, 44% of the time, it, we lie out of self-promotion, and that's for maybe we have an opportunity to get some more money in our pockets, maybe um, to make people laugh. Ultimately, it's to make ourselves look better. And already, we are at 80%. 80% of the time we're lying, it's for ourselves, either to protect ourselves or to make ourselves look better than we actually are. 11% of the time, it's impacting other people. Uh, we throw white lies in here. We throw in the social expectations, you know, just maybe to avoid someone's feeling. Uh, but also uh, gossip or just saying mean things, untrue things behind someone's back. And honestly, I think that, it can, that you can divide it even further than this. But I think it was just four. I was actually pleasantly surprised that only 4% of our collective lies have to do with telling lies about other people, like, in a mean way. So if there's any encouragement from lying, it's maybe not as bad as we thought. And then the last 9% is just unclear motives. You know, pathological liars are thrown in that category. And maybe, you know, you're confronted, like, maybe if you're, like, I know when I was a high school student, it's like, why did you lie? I don't know. And I was actually telling the truth. It actually comes there in unclear motives. We don't always know why. But that's a very, uh, you know, that's a very good look at why exactly do we tell these flat-out lies, bold-faced lies, even have truths. Going forward together, kind of where I want to kind of def define lying as, because I think it's important we move forward with a clear definition or understanding of what lying is, at least for our purposes this morning. Here's what we'll consider lying. Lying is anything you say or don't say with the intent to deceive or mislead someone else. Lying, anything you say or don't say with the intent of deceiving or misleading we are at the tail end of this series entitled Other People. We've been uh, at it for f this is week five out of six weeks. And this summer we've uh, been in the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first four were back in June with the series From the Mountain, looking at the first four commandments. And then we had a two-week break in July talking about El Salvador. And then it's the back six, all about other people. Uh, that first series, it was all about, those first four commandments, all about uh, our relationship with God. Leave other people out of it. Just how are we and God? Is it healthy? Is it righteous? Is there grace there? Forgiveness there? Is there peace there? And then the back six commandments, it's all about our relationship with other people. How's our conflict? How's our attitude? How are our hearts? How are we treating one another? It's all in that world. And today, it all comes down to the one verse, Exodus 20, verse 16. No lies about your neighbor. That's from the message. And we can actually just take that and just say, no lying. Just two words, no lying, don't do it, done. We're actually going to spend our time mainly in the New Testament with that spirit of Exodus 20, 16, uh, of no lying, no false, don't bear false witness as more popular translations might say it, but just no lying. We're going to take that into the New Testament, specifically the book of Acts chapter 5, and we are looking at one of the most famous lies in Scripture. 
And part of the reason why it's one of the more famous lies in Scripture is because of the punishment or the penalty or consequence that came out of that is both confounding, frustrating, and even scary. So here's where we'll be. Acts chapter 5. Do it kind of verse by verse like I like to do. Here are the first couple of verses. Um, and this it institutes, we have Peter. We have this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they're leaders in the church. And what has just happened is uh, they have some means. They come from some means. They have a number of properties. And they decide, hey, we're going to sell at least a, a property that we have. And we're going to give the proceeds to the church. That's kind of where we're at. Here we go. First, first couple of verses. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And we'll stop there. Here's kind of what's going on. This is very, very early in the life of the church. Uh, the church is kind of born in Acts 1. Peter preaches a sermon, kind of boosts numbers up to about just over 3,000. And then chapters 3 and 4, those th- few thousand people, they kind of bust out into small groups. And everyone is happy and generous. There is joy. Uh, the Holy Spirit is all over the place. And it is exactly what God would dream and have for the church even today. And there were a lot of people, like some people are better off financially than others, and so there was a great level of generosity. It said that uh, there was no one who had need that, you know, kept that need up. Like anyone who had a need, it was met by someone else in the church. And Ananias and Sapphira are two of these people. And here's a good Bible study tip. Anytime you see these individuals by name in the New Testament, particularly like in a book like Acts or one of the letters or epistles, it means that they were a leader in the church. They had at least some authority. Maybe they were teachers, maybe they were small group leaders, maybe they were deacons, but they had some level of leadership in the church. And so they had this piece of property, and at some point they said, you know, hey, we can bless a whole lot of people, maybe some specific people, but we can bless the entire church if we just sell this and give the money away. But that's not exactly, entirely, completely what happened. Initially, they choose generosity. And I believe the heart is genuine there. Initially, they choose abundant, just godly uh, generosity. But then something happened. Acts 5, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Uh, One thing I want to clear up if there's any confusion at all. Uh, Some people might see this and saying, oh, they weren't generous enough. This text is actually, it's, it's really not about money so much. It's about how they presented themselves to be. We don't know exactly what the conversation looked like, but hey, they sell a piece of property, let's say $200,000. It was a big piece of property, maybe a house on it. And Ananias and Sapphira, they say, hey, you know, this $200,000, we can really bless a lot of people. And then maybe they got to thinking, it's like, oh, well, maybe we could like hold some back for ourselves because it's a lot of money and we have our own dreams and all that. And you know what? That is 100% fine. As Peter himself throws out, he says, hey, it was your property, it was your money, whatever you wanted to do with it, that was completely fine. There were no obligations attached to this. It all came down to them misrepresenting themselves. 
They were making themselves out to be more generous than they actually were. They were making themselves out to have, to have a whole lot more character than they actually did. They were making themselves look just in a way that they were not. There are two things that stick out, just even that first line, as Peter is talking to Ananias. One, he says, Satan has filled your heart. heart. And then he says, you have lied to the Spirit of God. Forget us, you have lied to the Holy Spirit himself. There's this verse in Jeremiah, and you know what? When it comes to, like, I've lied. Um, I'm thankfully not nearly as good at it as I once was, and I, I try not to lie even nowadays. <clears throat> but I also know that it's really easy for that temptation to come in, and I know it's really easy to want to lie. I don't know if you've maybe found yourself in a conversation or maybe you've just been by yourself thinking about whatever and just like a really, really dark or evil thought has crept in your mind. You're like, oh my gosh, how did that even get in there? I don't know where that came from. This is what Jeremiah wrote long ago. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's a really great question, a really great rhetorical question that Jeremiah wrote down centuries ago. Human heart is so deceitful. And honestly, we don't always know where that wanting for deceit comes in. But we can all agree that it's there, since we're all liars together. And then I thought of these words that Jesus had for people, because it says, you know, you've let Satan into your heart. And Satan, lying and Satan, they're really synonymous. One thing that, um, not just our church, but really the Christian church, we don't always do well is we don't bring up Satan a whole lot, and we really need to. The problem is if we bring up Satan, then at least for me, I'm like, oh, people think I'm nuts or crazy, and I don't want to be seen that way. But we got to mention him here. Uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to a whole crowd of people, and they were his critics, and he's like, you know, honestly, guys, you are in no position to start. I want you to believe in me. I want you to put your faith in me, but you are really in no position to do so because your hearts are nowhere near where they need to be. Here's how it goes. Jesus said, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, but get this, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Anytime we lie, we are doing our, you know, our best Satan impression. And honestly, if we were to make a list of like what we thought the worst you know, sins out there were, we probably wouldn't have lying too far at the top. But that's also one of the dangers of what lying can turn us into or what it can lead to. Let's keep moving on. Verse 7, on through 11, because the story's not done yet. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, and get how he phrases this question. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received from your land? He's giving her an out. He's being very clear. Was this the price? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. So I said it before, but I'll ask it again. What exactly did they do wrong? 
Because every one of us can probably, you know, go back on our own history, maybe even as recently as yesterday, and think, well, shoot, I have not only lied, but I've lied several times. And honestly, that was a pretty small lie compared to what I'm capable of, maybe even compared to what I've done. And I have certainly not dropped down dead before. So what is going on here? Obviously, when we lie, this is not what the typical consequence is. This had to do with a very, very specific time in church history, what was going on in the life of the church. Like I said earlier, it is very, very new. We're only five chapters in. The church is only five chapters old. A few thousand people are a part of this. Here's what God was doing. You know, the church is described as the bride of Christ. You know, the most beautiful thing that, you know, he has a relationship with, that he loves and loves unconditionally. But it was early, and maybe if you may be in the construction business or whatever, uh, God was laying a foundation for the church. And it's really, really important to get a foundation right. If you don't get the foundation right, then the entire house can fall down. If not, it's a little crooked and everyone makes fun of it. What was going on here is Ananias and Sapphira, two leaders in the church, they honestly made a very easy mistake to make. And they gave into a temptation that many of us give into probably on a weekly basis. We want to be thought of as better than we are, more generous than we are, more friendly than we are. That was the sin that they committed. Like I said, we do that every week and we're not dropping down dead. But the church had to have a good foundation. At this point, there could be no deceit, there could be no, excuse me, there could be no mistrusting, there could be no fault in the foundation. That's how much God is caring for this, and that's how serious God is about the church. And he cares just as much for today, like even in this room, he would pray that there would be no deception, there'd be no backbiting, there'd be no gossiping, there'd be no lying, because being one in spirit and in one mind is so very important. In fact, that's a very good phrase. Right before Acts chapter 5, the last few verses of Acts chapter 4 look like this. Just get a picture of what the church was starting out at, what it looked like. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And that's what leads directly into that piece on Ananias and Sapphira. There was no room for this. There is no room for deceit. There is no room for dishonesty, no room for lack of integrity or character. Maybe this is coming at a good time for all of us because, like I said, at least in, you know, maybe our culture, lying doesn't seem like that big a deal. And honestly, when a lot of people think it's acceptable to lie, lie, cheat, steal to get ahead, it might be a good time to kind of refocus and what exactly does Scripture say about this, not only against the warning, but also uh, the blessing that can come out of this. Just a few verses. Proverbs 11.3. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Have you ever been in conversation with somebody or maybe you've been on the outskirts and uh, like you totally catch someone in a lie, like you know they're lying, they know, they, know, they know you know they're lying, but they just keep it up and they just like keep kind of digging that hole instead of like admitting, yes, I did this or yes, I was wrong. They just double down and really, really commit to the lie. After a while, like anger goes away and you're just like, 
just say only sadness go toward them. Only pity goes toward them. It's like, what has happened to you? What is going on in your heart? And this massive chasm is created between you and this other person. Paul has a couple things to, to say. One in Ephesians, one in Colossians. This is what Paul says for us. Paul says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And he says this in Colossians. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked, wicked deeds. Uh, something I'd like for all of us to do, um, just kind of asking the question, what if us gathered in this room, this church, this local church in Springboro, Ohio, what if we pursued and shared truth in all our relationships and with other people? Uh, just before, you know, one or two minutes, because I don't want anyone falling asleep, but let's close our eyes just for a moment, and I want to ask some questions. We're going to talk on honesty. You know, some of us may be lying to some other people, and that weight is really affecting our lives, really affecting our hearts. So if it's encouragement, you need to feel, I hope you feel it. If it's conviction, you need to feel, I hope, I hope we all feel it. But you may need to be honest with a spouse. You may need to be honest with a parent, maybe a child. You might need to be honest with a friend or coworker. And maybe it's coming clean about something. I stole this. I said this. I was with this person. This is where the money really went. This is where the money really came from. I should have stood up for you and I didn't. Or maybe you really haven't necessarily wronged someone else, but maybe you just need to be honest about what you're going through, what life is like for you right now. Maybe say something like, I've been pretending that everything is okay and everything is not okay. Or I'm not really as great as I try to make myself look and I need to tell somebody. Maybe something like, sometimes I lie just because I can and I don't know why. We can open our eyes again. You know, we're kind of into that area of confession, and confession is always really difficult. And if you had someone in mind, or maybe a couple people in mind, you, know, you might be having that thought of that dread. You know, well, they might get mad. Yeah, maybe, maybe even probably. Whenever we try to, you know, confess something or tell somebody that we've wronged, yeah, they might get upset, they'll get mad, they might even cry. That's part of it. But one thing that it's a promise from Scripture is that when we do confess, whether to him or to other people that we've wronged, that God is with you, and that is a good and holy thing. Ephesians 5. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Lies belong in the darkness. Lies can't survive in the light. Jesus said this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everyone remember what that feels like when you tell the truth and that weight is lifted off of your heart and it feels so good. None of it feels good. It feels right and even holy. A couple more verses from Proverbs 12. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. 
And I found this verse from Second Chronicles so, so encouraging. Because, you know, we're here in this building because at the very least, you know, we're curious about Jesus. And all of us, you know, no matter how bad we might think we are, I'm, I firmly believe that everyone wants to get better. Everyone wants to be better than they were yesterday. And I take so much encouragement from this verse from Second Chronicles. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I'll even read that again. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. One good, holy, and beautiful thing that we do every week is we practice communion. And it's one of these things that Jesus himself uh, kind of put forth as something that whenever we gather together that we should do. And this does a number of things, but one thing is it allows us to um, approach the throne of Jesus and try to make things right. You know, it's kind of a reminder. He said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And that means do this in remembrance of what I have done for you. You know, that verse that the truth sets us free. And Jesus says, you know, if you're my disciples, then you're going to know the truth. And that truth is going to set you free. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a good and holy thing, and it makes us just like Jesus. You want to know what truth looks like? Look no further than Jesus. He is the definition of it. So I'll do, I'll pray for us. We're going to have a number of minutes to have this private worship moment with Jesus. And if you need to come clean, first come clean with Jesus. He already knows, but that confession piece is so important. Let truth win the day. Pray with me if you would. Father, uh, the darkness is so comfortable. Lying is so comfortable. It makes us feel safe. And it makes us feel better than we actually are, but it is so damaging, and it comes straight from Satan himself. So help us in this moment know that, uh, know that to our core. Help us trust what truth does for us. Help us trust the grace that comes with that. Help us trust the healing that comes with that, not only for our own selves, but for those uh, who do life with us as well. If there's you know nothing that we need to confess, hey, you know, help us keep that going because we want to model your character and your ministry. But if we need to confess or unburden ourselves to someone else, help us first do that to you and give us strength to move that uh, with others. In Jesus' name, amen.